With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. everybody and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Holy Land, Langer and Holy Land's flagship podcast. I am your host, Gene Ross, joined as always by Josh, Julia, and Josh. We are back this week to preview what is somehow the first Ohio State road game of the season. The Buckeyes will travel to East Lansing this Saturday to take on Michigan State. Um, a fun run there of five straight home games, but I think it'll be good to see what this team is capable of on the road against a, a pretty, you know, not, not the greatest, but a quality um, in-conference opponent. Yeah, road trip, right? First one of the year. I, um, I'm eagerly anticipating Ohio State finally going on the road, seeing what they've got in a semi-hostile environment, I guess. East Lansing's not the easiest place to play. 4 p.m. is sort of one of those odd times, right? You either gear up for the nooner or, or you've got all day and you play you know, more of a more notable game under the lights. So this will be an interesting one, but given what we've seen from Michigan State, I, I understand why Ohio State's the heavy favorite, but I think we got a lot to sort out and a lot to talk through. Yeah, and I know it's been so long since this game happened, but every time I picture Ohio State traveling to East Lansing, I picture that 2014 game where like Michael Thomas went nuts and Ohio that was like the part of the start of like Ohio State becoming a legitimate title contender after dropping the Virginia Tech game early on. So I don't know why that's the game in East Lansing that always sticks in my head. I guess it's just from, you know, that that national championship season and that's why it stands out so much. But I feel like that was really, you know, that game at the Spartans and the way that they won that game against the ranked opponent really made them like legitimate again after their early loss and that's always just a game um, that was played in this stadium that that sticks in my brain. I remember like the the KJ Hill touchdown on the in the corner of the end zone and whatnot. I remember that game like pretty vividly. So I don't know what it is that it's that game better, sticks in my mind, but yeah, it's better than the neutral site memories, right? The indie memories where Michigan State pulled off the upset. But granted, that's been a long time ago since we saw Sad Urban in the golf cart, things like that. There are a lot of memories throughout the years, even going back to. You know, John Cooper suffered one of the worst upsets, or maybe it was Trestle. Um, so sort of a storied history with Michigan State. And last year was supposed to be a fantastic game with Kenneth Walker and all the weapons that Michigan State had during their 11-2 and season. Uh, I think it's going to be a little bit different, though, this year. Yeah, for sure. And, of course, you know, there was that game the, the following year in 2015 where Michigan State obviously came to the shoe and, and won that game and kind of ended Ohio State's national title hope. So you're right. There is kind of history here. It isn't This game doesn't always play out on paper how many expect it to, so maybe this will be a lot more interesting than people think. But before we get to the game itself this week, uh, as we usually do on these preview episodes, we're going to talk about what we heard from this week's press conference, uh, mostly focusing on what Ryan Day had to say this week, but starting with, as we usually do, the injury report. Um, the good news, at least here, um, is that he said Jordan Hancock is back to full speed in practice. Um, they are going to continue to hold him out until after the bye week just to get him you know, fully back ready for game reps and whatnot. But that, it sounds like good news on the Jordan Hancock front. Um, so that cornerback room getting a little bit more healthy. He also said that Cam Brown, uh, they're hopefully he'll be back this week as well, but they don't want to rush him. So kind of a, you know, a little 50-50 there. Um, on offense, they're anxious to get Travion Henderson back, which could be this week. Um, I would imagine he plays a little bit, but I think they'll still give the, the lion's share of the carries to Mayan Williams. Um, and then, of course, Jack Smith and Jigba, we're still waiting to come back. They said they're, they said they're hoping to get him back, but he's still day-to-day. Um, as we've said numerous times now, I don't expect him to play before uh, the bye week, but it wouldn't be a total shock to see him on the field this week if they feel that they need him on offense. So that's really 
Um, the bulk of the injury news, um, I don't think we really heard much about some of the guys that got banged up last week. It doesn't sound like any of those injuries were too serious. And so I would imagine that, you know, the, the bulk of the team will be playing this week. It's not like they could afford to um, rest some guys as they could, you know, last week against Rutgers and maybe a couple weeks before that and whatnot. But I do think we'll see at least the large complement of players, even those that maybe have been held out for very minor injuries. Um, I think we will see kind of the full complement of guys that are able to go back this week outside of maybe Jackson Smith and Jigba. Yeah, the names that jumped out to me were the cornerbacks. I, I know that JSN and Travion Henderson are the higher profile, probably more important players. But when you look at Ohio State's occasional struggles in pass defense this year, you know, small sample size, they've been able to kind of patch it together against inferior opponents. But it's good to hear that Jordan Hancock is not a myth and that's no shot on him. You know, we expected him to compete for playing time early this season. Then we thought he was banged up with something minor and that has turned into basically a half season in injury now. So uh, cannot wait to get him back. I'd really like to see him on the field, see what he can do because I think he's going to be a big time player. And then Cam Brown has been up and down in the three games that he did play. But against this Michigan State offense, which I think has the best complement of wide receivers that Ohio State has faced this year, and it's really not even close, you want depth there. You want some guys to throw at your Jaden Reeds, Keon Coleman's, Trey Mosley's, guys like that. So uh, I'm hopeful that Cam Brown is ready to go, and I'm hopeful that Denzel Burke is hopefully started to turn a corner or will turn a corner because I think they can be tested there. But all in all, I think you would have to say – pretty good news on the injury front. Yeah, I'd say largely so. And, you know, speaking of Denzel Burke, Ryan Day did bring him up in his in his presser this week as well, kind of still proclaiming a, a belief in him to get things figured out. He kind of said similar to what we discussed this past on the on the Rutgers recap, um, just talking about how he's been, you know, he's been right there for a lot of these plays. He just hasn't made the right play on the ball. So hopefully they're, you know, kind of working on that in practice because as long as, you know, you, as long as you're in position to make a play, you still have a chance to make a play if you're doing everything else right. So maybe they can get him Gee, right Ryan in that did. regard. He heard the podcast, for Ryan, sure. Yeah, Ryan Day is a listener. I know it's one of his weekly programs that he catches uh, every Wednesday, Thursday, whenever it goes up. So, um, yeah, that's exactly what we talked about, right? Denzel Burke has been there in the area. It's a matter of execution and uh, kind of fundamentals and things like that. So I'm glad that we weren't the only ones that saw that. It maybe makes us sound a little bit smarter, like maybe we know what we're talking about, right? Yeah, if nothing else, he uses the podcast for bulletin board material. So shout out to Ryan Day on that front. Um, nothing else really super impactful from his press conference today. He kind of had, you know, obviously he had a lot of praise from Mayan Williams after the huge game he had last week and, you know, just how much he's come along in his time at Ohio State. He also talked about how well uh, Steel Chambers has improved since turning, since changing over to linebacker, especially this season, how good he's looked throughout the year. Um, and he's only getting better with each additional week. So good for him to shout out some of these guys that are, you know, getting a chance to really show out for Ohio State this season and have become really important players of this team. But other than that, um, not a ton of super impactful stuff. We also heard from Jim Knowles and Tony Alford today. Um, not a ton on that front. You know, Jim Knowles had a lot of, you know, little fun tidbits to say here and there. Um, he did say he was, you know, disappointed that Ohio State's only 11th in the country in uh, third down defense. So they're going to continue to work on that. We love to hear a coach, you know, continue to try to be a, a perfectionist in that regard, especially with how bad Ohio State's defense has been prior to Knowles, you know, seeing what they've been able to do this year and the fact that he's still not fully happy with it is good to see. He also said he drinks about six cups of coffee a day, which which sounds about right. You know, that's exactly what I would expect from a, a Jim Knowles type of guy. Yeah, like that's that's honestly low for what, what I would expect Jim Knowles to have on. I, I'm sure on game day it's up near eight or nine, but uh, nonetheless, not a ton of, of super uh, crazy things. He also had kind of a funny tidbit on uh, on Steel Chambers. He they were talking about his his interception, and he said he was kind of you know dogging him on the sideline after it, like with how you know poor his return was, kind of being like, yeah, no wonder they moved you from running back. You know that was not that wasn't a good return. So kind of just a funny tidbit from there. It seems like he's really getting along with the players. The guys are really buying into him. They're able to you know joke back and forth with each other. So it's good to see you know all that going on. And, and Jim Knowles seems to be that all he was you know all he was cracked up to be coming into the offseason. We've seen it on the field so far. We've heard him you know speaking his press conferences and it sounds like you know everything is going exactly according to plan for what Ohio State you know wanted when they brought him in he definitely has a personality and he definitely comes across as a player's coach it seems as if he's got a great relationship with most of those guys and you can say the same thing in previous years about a Jeff Halfley and a Kerry Combs but with Kerry Combs the sort of process and the execution was lacking so I think that players will buy in more when you can not only relate to them, but show them proof of concept, whether that's through hard coaching or just a number of games. And 
Jim Knowles has been able to lean on that. You know, I, I'm sure that he is coaching these guys hard when they need it on occasion. But to me, he comes across as a, a teacher more so than anything. He really goes through the process, tries to get his point across and intends to show you the why or explain the why as far as, you know, them doing certain things, giving opponents certain looks, uh, so on and so forth. So I, I really like everything I've heard from him. And that goes for all the defensive coaches. Tim Walton, Perry Eliano have not been in front of the mic as often, but it, it certainly appears as if the team and the coaches, they're really gelling on that side of the ball. And it has shown so far in the results. Absolutely. And they've had, you know, kind of a few weeks here to really get things get things right. You know, they, they've had time to work on things with a couple of lesser offenses they've seen. Even, even you know, like Wisconsin had a good rushing offense, but they, you know, they didn't have much of a passing offense. Rutgers didn't really have much of either going. And now you're going to face, like you like you kind of alluded to before, a much better, at least, passing offense in, in Michigan State. They have a decent rushing attack as well. Uh, before we get into them, though, uh, let's talk about what Michigan State has. Uh, before we get into, like, their current offense and whatnot, let's, let's talk about what they've done so far this season. Um, coming into the year, kind of a mixed bag of expectations for Michigan State. And after starting the season two and zero, um, they've since lost their last three games to fall to two and three on the year. Um, their wins were over Western Michigan and Akron, and then they've lost three straight to Washington, Minnesota, and Maryland. And in those games, there's kind of been uh, a very similar trend among them from the opposing quarterbacks. You have. Michael Penix at Washington threw for nearly 400 yards with four touchdowns. Uh, Tanner Morgan at Minnesota completed 23 of his 26 attempts for 268 yards and three scores. And then Talia Tugabailoa threw for over 300 yards with a touchdown for the Terps. So um, as we saw last year, that Michigan State passing defense has just it hasn't been very good. Um, it's it honestly hasn't improved much from being like dead last in the country last year. Um, it's slightly better now, but it's still not very good. They're the second worst passing defense in the Big Ten behind only Indiana. Um, they're allowing 275 yards per game through the air. Uh, the run defense hasn't been much better. It's fifth worst in the Big Ten, allowing 136.8 yards per game. Adds up to the third worst total defense in the country. Um, and it isn't really being picked up by an offense that ranks third worst in the Big Ten in total offense. So uh, as a whole, just a, a big step back from this Michigan State team from that kind of surprising 11-2 and season in their first year under Mel Tucker last year. Obviously, you know, losing guys like Kenneth Walker um, and guys along that offensive front, Jalen Naylor. Um, and then that defense not really adding a whole ton in, in terms of production. Uh, it's kind of, it, it, you know, we weren't exactly high on Michigan State in our preview this offseason. I think it's all really coming to fruition now um, as they go up against, you know, better and better quarterbacks. It's just they, they can't do anything to stop them. And that secondary just doesn't have an answer. They've, they've been beat up on defense, too, to start the year. We'll talk about that in a bit. But just really a, a tough start for this Michigan State program and a tough start for year two under Mel Tucker. A lot of the things that we talked about in the preview, you're right, have come to fruition, but I still had higher expectations. It seems like Washington may have broken them with that 39 to 28 victory uh, that Washington had in week three. Uh, Michigan State's defensive numbers are really buoyed by the shutout they had against Akron, which is not a good football team. Uh, they only allowed 13 to Western Michigan, but since then, you know, th they've had the brakes beaten off them by three. <clears throat> varying teams. I, I think that Washington, Minnesota, Maryland, they all have skill guys. They could all potentially be top 25 teams, whether that's a week from now, four weeks from now, what it is, whatever it is. But um, yeah, I'm still really confused by their overall performance. You know, Michigan State began the season ranked 15th due in part to their seemingly out of nowhere 2021 season. And maybe that was fool's gold, but they looked great against Western Michigan and Akron wheels fell off. They couldn't stop a nosebleed against Washington. And then the offense essentially forgot how to function after that. They only scored 20 points in their last two games uh, while giving up 60 to Minnesota and Maryland. So I'm not sure where it all went wrong, Gene. I wanted to blame it on lack of team chemistry with all the transfers and things like that. But most of their impact transfers play on the defensive side of the ball, with the exception of running back. And that defense is still performing slightly better than it did last year. But I think the big thing is Peyton Thorne has taken a step back, or maybe this is always who he was. I'm not sure without a Heisman candidate running back. And the passing defense still stinks out loud. You know, they are 54th in scoring defense. And I know we'll get to that probably second, 
but I just want to hit on that one stat. It's somewhat misleading because they're tied for 100th, 100th, 100th in uh, total yards allowed, and they're number 115 in passing yards allowed. So you said it. They were dead last in college football last year in yards per game through the pass, and they've improved slightly, but, I mean, 115 out of 130, that's just that's never going to get it done, especially in the Big Ten, which I understand it's the, the conference is not known for their aerial attacks, but you look at Ohio State, Maryland, uh, even Penn State and Michigan. I don't know if they're on their schedule, but they're going to run up against more and more teams that can throw the ball. And through, uh, gosh, you know, 16, 18 games now, they've been terrible. And so they really need to get that figured out if they want to get back to even seven, eight, nine wins this year. I don't know if that's even possible right now without having their schedule right in front of me because they need to solve that if they want to be competitive against not just the the top-notch teams in the Big Ten, but the middle tier. Minnesota has a chance in the West, but if you ranked them 1 through 14, what's Minnesota? 5, 6, something like that. Maryland probably in the same range, you know, sort of middle of the pack. So, you know, they're, they're getting blown off the field here by, I know Maryland can really throw the ball, but Tanner Morgan wasn't great last year, and he's not uh, a Pat Mahomes or an Aaron Rodgers, but he was super, super efficient against Michigan State. I just keep going back to that, and then the offense has sort of failed them again. They don't have that Heisman candidate running back. Uh, a bunch of things that we'll continue to get to, but it, it seems – I, I want to ask you at this point, Gene, do you think that Michigan State has big-time buyer's remorse on the big Mel Tucker contract? Yeah, I literally have in my notes here written down buyer's remorse for Michigan State on Mel Tucker, question mark. Um, so that's funny that you asked that. But yeah, you know, kind of just what you're going back to and, and what we talked about this offseason, talking about Michigan State, you just you can't build a team through the portal year over year. It's not a sustainable way to put together a team. And especially when, you know, you're not going to land a Kenneth Walker type player every year. And this year they didn't. You know, they've landed some some big guys on the defensive side of the ball that we're going to talk about here, but not not really in the secondary besides, you know, one guy that they have back there that's, you know, he's not really performing all that great. They didn't land, you know, they're not they're not getting the Eli Ricks or, you know, the, the Brandon Josephs of the world to, to land at their program. So you're right, not going right. to, you're not going to rebuild your secondary through the portal. And, you know, offensively, it's tough to find a Heisman caliber running back like Kenneth Walker every year to kind of to balance out your offense. And I think that's a large reason why we'll talk about in a second, you know, Peyton Thorne's kind of regressed this year. And so without those guys, without having to, you know, kind of hitting the, hitting the jackpot on pretty much every guy they got in the, on their team last year, um, it, it's tough to do that in two years in a row. And now you're looking at a team that, like you said, is going to be tough to win six or seven games in the Big Ten when they've already, you know, they, they've played, you know, Tanner Morgan and Italia Tagovailoa, I guess, are two of the better quarterbacks in the Big Ten. They're not, you know, they're not top two, they're not top three, but they're, you know, they're on the upper echelon, at least from the middle. Um, yeah, like you said, you know, they've played, we saw how bad, you know, this past weekend, how bad Minnesota's offense is without uh, Mo Ibrahim. And so having Tanner Morgan just run roughshod over you in that game is, is pretty bad. You know, Talia Tagovailoa is a good is a good quarterback with some good weapons, so that's not super, you know, inexcusable, but it's just, you can't let, you know, Michael Penix is doing good too, but 400 yards and four touchdowns is, is a lot of yards. Um, and, and so, like, and like you said, you know, they still have to play the Penn States, the Ohio States, the Michigans, who all have better quarterbacks than those three teams. So it's just going to be a really tough sledding for them. Them here, I don't know what's going to happen with that. You know that Mel Tucker contract; it was questionable at the time, um, especially when they did it before playing Ohio State, and then you know lost fifty-six to seven in that game. So it was a bad look at the time, and it's looking increasingly bad with each passing week. And you know I don't have super high hopes um, that Michigan State's going to really be competitive this week. Um, they've really you know they've regressed on both sides of the ball. I mean they're you know market improvement on defense going from one thirty-one dead last to one fifteenth, I guess, but the offense has regressed pretty significantly going from 39th in 2021 to 88th in 2022 and when your defense just can't get anything done, that's certainly not going to cut it and that's not going to win ball games. So I don't I don't know if they're you know I don't know the I don't have my pulse on the Michigan State fans. I actually work with two people um, that went to Michigan State, so I'll have to ask their opinion next time I'm in office on what they're feeling about Mel Tucker right now, but I I think it's kind of a tough look. To, to have this guy coming in, you know, second year after seemingly turning things around last year for this program and then it all coming crashing down almost immediately this season. Um, it's definitely a tough pill to swallow with that big money on the table. And, and I think that this season will probably force him and Michigan State to at least reevaluate their approach because when you basically build your team with 
a bunch of mercenaries. And, and I still don't know if that's to blame for their performance this year, but I think if that's your consistent approach, it, it's sink or swim, right? You're either going to hit or you're going to miss. And they hit with Kenneth Walker last year. I, I can't even say that they missed this year with some other guys, especially on defense. But like you said, it, it's one thing to bring in transfers who can supplement your team. It's another to land a guy like Kenneth Walker Jr. or the third can carry your team like he did last year and they haven't found the guy that can carry either the offense or defense although you know Jacoby Windman I want to talk about him when we get to the defense it's um I I think it's tough and we've seen mixed results USC seems to be doing pretty well but they added Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison right Jalen Berger and Jacoby Windman from UNLV they're not those guys and that's not necessarily a shot at them. I think they're big 10 start. I mean, obviously they're big 10 starters. They're both good players, but I, I think they take an average team and make it above average. Whereas, whereas Kenneth Walker, the third took them from above average to elite for much of the year last year. So it's just a tough way to do business. And I think they need to hit on some more homegrown in, in state or in region recruiting guys to really build this roster uh, in sort of like a, a natural, organic way, and they've failed to do that. Now they're seeing the opposite end or the opposite effect of what could happen when you take that approach. Yeah, and I was looking quickly before the podcast just at some of their recent recruiting rankings, and you know, the first these first two years under Mel Tucker, they're like in the mid twenties in recruiting, and I think for a program like Michigan State, that's probably good. You know, you probably want to shoot more towards like fifteen, or yeah, I don't think they're going to be able to be a top ten team, but they do have a lot of talent within their home state in Michigan, and obviously you're going to lose a lot of that to the University of Michigan, but there's still a lot of guys out there to be had. There's also you know obviously the guys from Ohio that Ohio State doesn't go after, so there's talent around you to be had, and I just like you said, they need more guys that they. Can bring in and develop and actually put together some team cohesion in order to turn things around because the the mix and match puzzle piece, especially on defense, things that they tried to do just hasn't worked out. And when you're not landing the the top end talents on offense, it's really not going to change your team all that much. So the combination of the two has really hurt them this year. I don't know if it's going to get much better. Uh, it's probably going to get worse before it gets better, but we'll see if their approach does change after seeing what what can happen this year um, and and what has happened thus far. But nonetheless, let's look at what they do have so far this year on offense. Um, we've talked about him a little bit here. Quarterback Peyton Thorne has returned as a second-year starter for the Spartans. He's a guy who threw for uh, over 3,200 yards last year with 27 touchdowns and 10 picks. Off to an, an okay start, I'd say, in 2022. He has eight touchdowns with six interceptions and has accrued over 1,100 yards through five games. His completion percentage is up 4%, but his yards per attempt and efficiency rating are both down from last year. You know, like we kind of alluded to, you know, the loss of, of a Heisman candidate running back has probably forced him to do a bit more than Michigan State is likely comfortable with, and that's probably the reason why his numbers are dipping a little bit there. Um, he's also, of course, without Jalen Naylor, who's now with the Minnesota. Minnesota Vikings, but he does retain the other half of his star wide receiver duo from last year in Jaden Reed. Uh, Reed led the team in receptions a year ago with over a thousand yards and 10 touchdowns. He's joined this season by Keon Coleman, uh, who after catching only seven passes last year, currently leads the team with 308 yards for, with 25 catches and three touchdowns. He's been really good for them this year. Uh, Trey Mosley is also back after being the third leading receiver last year. He's another third man again in a strong receiver core in 2022. So he's got some good uh, weapons at his disposal at wide receiver. And running back really isn't bad on paper either. Um, it's obviously a tall task to replace a guy like Kenneth Walker III, but they've done so with a, a duo of transfer running backs, um, the, the top being Wisconsin transfer for Jalen Berger. He's ran for 300 yards with four touchdowns thus far. They also have Colorado transferred. Jarek Broussard um, has been his running mate, rushing for 177 yards and two scores. Um, funnily enough, Elijah Collins has actually been the most efficient runner of the three. Uh, he's averaged 6.7 yards per carry, and he's got three touchdowns, but he only has 14 attempts on the season. So maybe they should kind of look to give that guy the ball a bit more, just a thought. You don't have to only play the transfers. They have some other guys there that could give them some options. Um, up front on the offensive line, they bring back a bunch of experience. Um, left guard J.D. Duplain and center Nick Samick are a pair, are, are pair of seniors up the middle. All five positions across the front have starting experience, but the depth is a potential issue. Um, left tackle Jared Horace is a senior transfer from Arkansas State. Um, on the right side, Matt Carrick and Spencer Brown are both upperclassmen, so a lot of, a lot of uh, experience there, but the group has not really performed all that well to begin this season. Uh, they rank 90th in the country in power success rate, 85th in average line yards. Uh, they've been much better in pass protection, where they've allowed just six sacks on the year, ties them for 28th in that department. 
So all in all, a decent offense and one that, despite some shortcomings, could like be the first to test Ohio State through the air. They've got the experienced quarterback. They've got a decent receiver core. Um, but I do worry that they could become one-dimensional if they can't run the football all that well. And although that one dimension is the one with the question marks for Ohio State, I think it's kind of similar to what we saw uh, Michigan State struggle with in Columbus last year, where Ohio State was able to slow down Kenneth Walker significantly. And when they forced a guy like Peyton Thorne to have to throw it regularly, they, they forced him into mistakes. They forced him you know, into into like just making bad throws and it didn't lead to offensive success for Michigan state. So I do think they have the, the horses to do it, but I do think that if they do become too one dimensional and they rely on that passing game too much, then it's just going to be more of the same that we saw from them last year. And that was a really smart observation that you had when we were talking before the podcast, making them one dimensional from Ohio, from an Ohio state perspective. I think that should definitely be the goal because we, we've seen their struggles, Michigan state struggles the last three games. And we saw it last year when they were able to, sorry about that, um, when they were able to slow down Kenneth Walker and really, you know, beat up Michigan State pretty badly. Peyton Thorne, I'm starting to think that last year was a bit fluky. You know, he did have the nearly three to one touchdown to interception ratio and the 3,200 yards. However, he only completed 60% of his passes. And if you look at his early career, I guess, He's not always been the most efficient, accurate guy, and that's what you're seeing a little bit this year. The accuracy has improved, but the efficiency has taken a big dip. You brought up yards per attempt. I'll throw out the number. It's 6.9 yards per attempt, and when you look at some of his wide receivers, I mean, Jaden Reed is under 10 yards per catch. Last year, he was over 17 uh, Keon Coleman's at 12 yards per reception. Same thing for Trey Mosley. So a lot of dinks and dunks. And uh, he's even hit Jalen Berger 10 times out of the backfield, which that was not a big calling card for Kenneth Walker last year. They didn't lean on that a whole lot with the passing game out of the backfield. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it's approach, game plan or execution, but they're not nearly as explosive as they were last year. And maybe some of that is Jalen Naylor being gone, but being gone. But I like what they have. You know, I. I really thought that this Michigan State offense would be one of the better ones in the Big Ten, and that has just not proven to be the case this year. Um, you know, just to go back to Peyton Thorne, eight touchdowns to six interceptions. He was really good against Washington. He completed 30 out of 42 passes for three touchdowns and a pick, but threw no touchdowns to two picks against Minnesota, then was able to was unable to get anything going against Maryland, who it does not have a great defense, right? So I'm hoping selfishly that this Ohio State secondary, this is what the doctor ordered, you know, a team that on paper has a, a better passing attack. But if Ohio State can shut them down, I think that will give them a lot of confidence. But looking at the running game, Berger and Broussard, the two transfers, started out like gangbusters, but they have been completely clogged up during the losing streak. They started out as sort of a 1A, 1B. Berger has separated himself as the starter, as he has nearly 400 total yards and four touchdowns on the season. But Broussard is a good complement. He had 1,500 yards across 17 games at Colorado, so he can move the ball. He can give you something. Like most of the offense, I think that those two guys are solid, but they're going to go up against an Ohio State defense, which has been really sound in the running game. So, Strength on strength, maybe there. And, and I like Ohio State's chances, especially given what they were able to do with Kenneth Walker last year. I mean, you're looking at a lot of the same puzzle pieces, as you put it, the offensive line, a lot of the same guys return, and they have not been able to open up the same holes like they did last year. And um, But the wide receivers, I, I do have my concerns there with these Michigan State wideouts. You can make a strong argument that Keon Coleman, Jaden Reed, and Trey Mosley will be the three best wide receivers Ohio State has faced this year. And I don't mean as a trio. I mean each one of them individually. Outside of Lorenzo Styles Jr. from Notre Dame, the Buckeyes have not faced a top-notch wide receiver, and they've still been burned. So uh, that's why I said earlier, I hope this secondary is healthy. I hope that they have some options to choose from because – if Ohio State's defense is typically sound, like we've seen this year, it's going to force Michigan State to throw the ball. And again, like you said, they have the horses to do so. Um, you've got, got it right in front of me, three guys with more than 180 yards receiving. Again, the efficiency is not great, but they're skilled. 
Uh, Keon Coleman is a big wide receiver. Jaden Reed can do it all. Trey Mosley, in my opinion, is uh, more of a, a kind of a slot guy, but certainly weapons. And then you even go further down the list. You know, they've got a guy, Jeremy Bernard, four catches, 100 yards, big explosive play guy, 25 yards per catch, two touchdowns. So half of his receptions have gone for touchdowns. It was just early in the, earlier in the year against inferior opponents. So all in all, I really... I like the parts of this Michigan State offense. I think that they could challenge Ohio State. I think that they could put up some points. You know, Ohio State is top 20 or so in points per game allowed. This could be, I don't know that it will turn into a shootout, but it could be a game that's a little closer than we'd like, at least through the first half, maybe into the third quarter, if Michigan State's able to put up some points. So I've got some concerns but they're quelled a little bit by the fact that Ohio State's rush defense has been so good and Peyton Thorne has not been able to carry Michigan State on his back. So at the very least, it should be an interesting matchup between those two units. Yeah, I'm very interested to see how that that kind of battle plays out because pretty much at this point, you know, we thought going into the season that Denzel Burke was going to be the top dog in Ohio State's cornerback room, and that just has been the case thus far. And so I'm wondering, you know, going into a game, you know, Jaden Reed is is sort of the top dog here. Keen Coleman outgains him this year, but we I, I think we both think Jaden Reed is probably the better of the two receivers. I am interested to see, you know, what happens, how the matchups go for Ohio State because I don't think it's just going to be purely, you know, Denzel Burke against Jaden Reed on one on one every single play. I think Ohio State's going to mix it up. I think you're going to see different guys on, on different players. I'm wondering if that plays to Ohio State's strength in a way where, you know, you're throwing different styles of coverage at a guy. He doesn't figure out how to beat one player. And, you know, maybe he's beating, you know, Denzel Burke over the top, but then Cam Brown's better at that or, you know, vice versa, stuff like that. So I am interested to see how that kind of plays out because there isn't really a true pecking order, I would say, right now in this Ohio State cornerback room, especially with all the injuries they've sustained. It's kind of just the whoever's the healthiest bodies have been the guys that have been playing. But, um, I am interested to see how that that kind of battle plays out and how Ohio State does deploy its corners in this game. I wonder if we see you know some different formational stuff that we haven't seen quite yet against a team that can pass the ball a bit more. You know, we've been a couple weeks now where teams have been better at running than pa- than passing. So maybe if if Michigan State's got nothing going on the ground and they are going pass heavy, we see some different looks, maybe some different guys in some different spots that we haven't really seen so far this year. So I think that is really the thing to look at when these two units are on the field. Here is how how efficient is Peyton Thorne? How good are these receivers at getting open against? these Ohio State corners and how many points can they put up through the air because I don't I'm not expecting them to do a bunch on the ground from what we've seen so far if, if Ohio State could slow down you know a Braylon Allen I don't think they should be super concerned with what Michigan State's bringing I think Jalen Berger and Jarek Broussard are, are good players but I don't think they're quite the the Braylon Allens of the world and I don't think this offensive line is as good as Wisconsin so I really am just interested when Ohio State's defense is on the field how that secondary looks against a team that can throw the ball a bit with good wide receivers I really hope that Tanner McAllister and Cam Brown are ready to go because I think they'll be very important during this game. Cam Brown's an experienced guy. Tanner McAllister is an experienced guy. And I think Ohio State, again, if healthy, will need to lean on them, especially Tanner McAllister. He is a he's a maestro in the secondary, specifically with Jay Johnson and Jair Brown when they were in the game. He was able to get in their ear, direct them, prepare them. Um, and, and probably helped them quite a bit against Wisconsin, even though Wisconsin wasn't able to throw the ball very well. Um, you're going to need good communication. Everyone's going to need to execute their assignments, know where they need to be and when they need to be there. And then from a Denzel Burke perspective, you know, maybe this is a game that kind of stokes his competitive fire. Um, cornerbacks, I think, They play a very difficult position, and in order to succeed, I think you have to have a short memory, right? If you get burned one play, be prepared the next to body a guy up, you know, break a pass up, maybe break on a pick, something like that. That short memory has kind of not been applicable to Denzel Burke through a handful of games because he has seemingly struggled in each and every one of them. But it's been against lower level competition. So maybe he is able to dial it in this week knowing, hey, I'm going to be one on one with Jaden Reed or with Keon Coleman or something like that. So that's why I said earlier, I hope that it brings the best out of this Ohio State secondary because I don't think we've seen it. Um, And maybe the safeties are a bit more involved. 
Ronnie Hickman, Josh Proctor, guys like that, we they've played well. They played very well in stretches, but we still haven't heard a whole lot from them. If they're able to help support the passing game more so than they've been even asked to do so far this year, then I think Ohio State has a good chance to at least limit what Michigan State is able to do through the air. But I think we're in agreement that if we see what we saw against uh, like Toledo or, or something like that, Michigan State could could put it on Ohio State. I, I think they could maybe break a couple big plays, go deep, something like that. So it's it's certainly going to be a test, and this is probably going to be the you know kind of biggest test Ohio State will face for another couple of weeks until probably Penn State. So a big one-off when you look at all the opponents Ohio State has faced. And I think that the secondary, more so than any other unit, really needs to rise to the occasion this week. Yeah, that was kind of what I was going to say. Is like The secondary could really afford to go all out in this one because you have the, the week off next week and then you play Iowa who can't pass the ball even a little bit. So you really just got to you know give your 110% effort this week and then you can really take the next two weeks off. So it be nice to see more from the secondary this week. We will see um, what we get from that unit. But flipping over to the Spencer Michigan State. Spencer Petrus is punching air right now, Gene. Yeah, he's, he's doing something, that's for sure. Um, switching over to the Michigan State defense here, as we talk about, you know, questionable secondaries. Um, like we said earlier, after ranking, ranking dead last in the country in passing yards allowed last season, they're now all the way up to 115th, so shout out to them. Um, they've been much better against the run, but at, at 63rd in the country, they're certainly not elite in that regard either. Um, up front, a guy that we kind of alluded to and talked about a little bit so far, Jacoby Winman. Uh, he's been a real force for the Spartans defense this year. UNLV transfer. He's racked up a team-high eight tackles for loss as well as a team-high five-and-a-half sacks. He's got three-and-a-half more sacks than the next best player. Um, he's really been one of their stars on defense and one of those you know, aforementioned transfers on defense that have really clicked for this team this season. Um, opposite him, Chris Bogle has been uh, solid off the other edge, registering three tackles for a loss and a sack. Up the middle, Derek Harmon, Simeon Barrow, the run stuffers, the Paris combined for 29 total tackles, two and a half tackles for loss. Um, they are missing Jacob Slade, who's supposed to be a big time player for them at defensive tackle. He's missed the last two games with injury. It's not clear if he will be ready to go uh, against Ohio State. As far as true stand up linebackers go, Cal Holiday and Ben Van Summeren uh, have led the way in that regard. Uh, the pair tied for second on the team in tackles with 43 each. Uh, Halloway adds two tackles for loss and a sack as a redshirt sophomore. Um, and Van Summeren is in his second year at Michigan State after transferring over from Michigan. Um, another big injury in this group, Darius Snow was expected to be a big part of the linebacker core, but hasn't played since getting hurt in week one. Um, doesn't really sound like he'll, he'll play in this one, but that's still up in the air as well. And then getting to that secondary, which we have discussed, is not as the, the most stellar in the world. Um, it does include the team's tackling leader in Kendall Brooks. Uh, the senior defensive back has 47 total tackles and has forced three fumbles, which is second only to the aforementioned Winman, who has forced five fumbles this season, which is pretty impressive through five games. Uh, Michigan State, as a team, has not recorded a single interception this season, which is definitely concerning. Um, starting corner Charles Brantley leads the team with five pass breakups. Uh, safety Angelo Gross and Nickel Chester Kimbrough are right behind him with four apiece. Georgia transfer corner Amir Speed has registered 34 tackles on the season. Um, kind of not what you want to see from your defensive backs. Um, you don't want to have uh, defensive backs as three of your top five leading tacklers, which is what Michigan State has. It's generally not a good sign for the rest of your defense. Uh, Gross is fourth on the team with 35, and Speed is fifth, as, as mentioned before. Um, not great. And an already shaky secondary has been severely hampered by losing safety Xavier Henderson in the first game of the season. Um, he finished second on the team a year ago with 96 total tackles as one of the unit's overall best players. Uh, and he's been out with a pretty significant leg injury since week one. He's out indefinitely. He is not going to play in this game. So a big loss for them in that secondary. I haven't been with him for most of the year. Um, and, you know, just, just pretty significant injuries at all three levels for Michigan State on a unit that was already pretty likely to struggle even with those guys in. Um, they're going to have a real tough time against Ohio State's offense after getting, you know, t really torched by other less powerful passing offenses, especially now that Ohio State has really found its power run game to go along with that passing game. Uh, it, it's going to be a tough day for these guys. I can't really see them miraculously turning around in this game unless Ohio State just has an all-time bad day from a, a play-calling and injuries standpoint. I just don't see how Ohio State doesn't put up points on this group. Um, that, that secondary does not have a ton going for them. Like I said, they don't have a single interception as a team this year. Um, and, and it's just been more of what we saw last year. The secondary can't 
stop really anything and, and cover anybody. And it just seems like a lot of receivers are out there running on air, and that's probably what it's going to feel like for C.J. Stroud this week. So maybe they're able to do some stuff up front. Maybe Windman can, can get some stuff and get in the backfield and, and mess with Ohio State's timing a bit. But in terms of pure passing and covering the pass, I don't, don't love the Spartans' chances here. As Ohio State fans, we certainly hope so, right? But I mentioned this earlier, Michigan State's ranked 54th in scoring defense, but the total yards allowed all across the board tell a a much worse story since they shut out lowly Akron. This Spartan defense, uh, I wrote that they've been diced up like a Dahmer victim. So I hope that's topical. I hope I give somebody a laugh there. In the last three weeks, Michael Penix Jr., Tanner Morgan, and Tualia Tagovailoa have combined for roughly 1,000 yards passing, eight touchdowns, no interceptions. And, um, you know, Michigan State's rush defense has only been marginally better. Up front, you mentioned Barrow and Harmon. Harmon is 6'5", 330. He's a big old boy, so they have some size in the interior that can maybe deal with Ohio State's stellar offensive line. The edge is set by Chris Bogle and oftentimes Jacoby Winman. Bogle played in a bunch of games at Florida and Winman is, in my opinion, the team's best defender. He was one of the leading tacklers in the country at UNLV last year with 119 to go with 11 and a half, 11 and a half tackles for loss and six and a half sacks. Comes to Michigan State and has five and a half sacks and four and four forced fumble in just their first two games, but no sacks since that being said, he's still a dangerous hybrid defender. You know, Michigan state actually lists him as a linebacker. He rotates there quite a bit. And at that level, he'll join Halliday and Van Summeren. Halliday is probably right behind Jacoby women though. He's a really good player, had 96 tackles last year and two pick sixes. He's been solid again this year with 43 total tackles and a sack. Van Summeren was a backup, but he's added some things for them this year. It really comes down to the secondary, right? And I like Brooks and Gross, their safety duo, but the corners are toast. You know, Amir Speed is a sixth-year corner. He has intriguing size. I think he's 6'2", 6'3", but you mentioned the 34 tackles. Playing corner, that you know, that's great. If you've got a guy who can come up and support the run, tackle one-on-one in space, the 34 tackles are nice, but zero interceptions and zero pass breakups. So he's not making plays on the ball really at any point. He's just there to clean up messes. Um, but th- like I said, intriguing size. I imagine he will see quite a bit of Marvin Harrison Jr. And then you fill in the rest with your Kimbrough, Charles Brantley, guys like that, a number of transfers. And this is going to be a a far more difficult challenge than they've faced the last three weeks when they were really burnt um, all throughout the secondary. So I'm with you. This is going to be a big challenge for them, but their hopes lie up front because they do have the size. They've got some pass rushers. They have two sound linebackers, much like Ohio State. So you know, if they can get to C.J. Stroud and maybe make him uncomfortable, you know, per- perhaps it limits what he is able to do. But you've got a two-prong attack, right? Ohio State's rushing game has been just as good, if not better, than the passing attack throughout the entire season. So it's going to be a tall task for them. And really, based on what we've seen recently, I just, uh, you know, I-, I don't know if it's in the cards for them to hold Ohio State under 30, 35 points. I just don't see it. So if they have, in in my opinion, if they have real hopes of hanging in this game, Peyton Thorne's going to have to do some things, and this defense is going to have to stand on their head just to limit what Ohio State can do on offense. Yeah, and Josh, it is worth mentioning here. Now, while it was a completely different team, uh, Michigan State is responsible for C.J. Stroud's only career rushing touchdown. So we do have to take that into account. Yes. Um, his his 48 yard scamper in 2020 coming in in replacing of Justin Fields in a, in a blowout game. The only career rushing touchdown of CJ Stroud's career. And funny enough, um, I had actually seen this on Twitter and I have confirmed it via sports reference. Um, that run for CJ Stroud was 48 yards. CJ Stroud has 36 career rushing yards to this point. So he has since lost yards since that uh, that rushing attempt. And obviously a lot of that is like kneel downs at the end of games, at the end of halves and whatnot. But just very funny that he, he had a 48-yard rushing touchdown against Michigan State and has not ran the ball since. So it's funny you brought that up. I do remember that. And since you brought it up, I, I know we're going to do predictions here in a little bit. I will go out on a limb 
and say that C.J. Stroud runs one in this week as sort of a callback to his true freshman season. I, I, was it his true freshman season? Uh, I'm not. I believe it was. Yes, I know. I know it was his first. I know it was his first year on campus. So probably his true freshman season. Yeah. Gosh, I feel like we should know that for sure. We're bad hosts. But um, no, just put me down for a bold prediction. I think that he sneaks one in or runs one in on a bootleg, something like that. Again, that's sort of a callback because we've seen Ryan Day get in his bag a little bit. And, you know, he's probably uh, full of piss and vinegar after the tussle last week with Greg Schiano. You know, um, I, I don't think he's got anything against Mel Tucker, but that's just sort of the guy he is. Maybe we can see that this weekend. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, just just look, I, I, you know, unlike when we both took the over of, of a half interception on uh, on C.J. Stroud against Wisconsin, I'm going to take the under of half a, a rushing touchdown for C.J. Stroud this week. I will not be joining you uh, on this adventure, unfortunately. I just, I don't think he, I don't think he has to. I don't think he wants to. And I just don't think Ohio State's offense is, is going to call for it. Would it be fun to see? Absolutely. I'd love to see C.J., you know, get his own on his with his legs, but I'm just not predicting it. So that'll be, we'll be going against each other this week. One of us will be 1-1, one one, uh, the other will be 2-0. Uh, we'll see how that that plays out. But nonetheless, you know, just kind of wrapping things up here as we, we look at this game. Um, kind of like we said, I, I think the offense can do enough. The, the Michigan State offense can do enough to give Ohio State some problems. But I, I don't think it will really matter that much if the defense can't stop anything. It's it's the same issues the Spartans ran into in last year's matchup. But without Kenneth Walker, so you're missing your best offensive player from last year. Pretty much the same defense, pretty much the rest of the same offense. So. Not a ton of high hopes there. They lost last year's game by 49. I don't know if it'll be quite that bad, but I don't know how much you can improve after losing you know, a player of Walker's caliber and not really doing a whole ton elsewhere. Um, a, a much worse Buckeye defense, too, in that game was able to slow down Peyton Thorne when they couldn't run the ball. So maybe more of that uh, this time as well with a much improved Ohio State defense from that game. Um, interesting to see what Ohio State's depth looks like on defense in this one. That could also play a factor. We still don't really have a full picture of what their cornerback situation will look like, which guys we really we'll don't. We'll know at 3.59 p.m. on Saturday. That's the way Ryan Day likes to give it to us. Yeah, exactly. We really don't know who the starting two quarterbacks are until we see the defense line up for the first time on the field. So tough to kind of uh, of guess what's going to happen there. But it really, I don't. I think either way, it doesn't really matter if if Michigan State's you know, if their if their defense can't stop Ohio State, I don't think it's going to matter all that much. So, I, I do think Michigan State will will get their own. I think they'll put up some points in this game, but I don't really see them threatening to win this one. And I think that their defense once again is going to be the, the deciding factor in this one and is really going to let them down. And I, I don't think anything. You know, Peyton Thorne could have a good game in this one. Maybe he looks good, but I just I don't know if he's going to be able to lead them to the type of comeback that they would need him to do. I don't think this is a team that's built to win in a shootout, and I think that's exactly what they would have to do to win this game. So, you know, that being said, enough with the appetizers, Gene. Let's get to the main course and do some predictions. Yeah, I, I, I went back and forth on this one. I feel like I keep predicting very similar scores for these Ohio State games. But um, on this one, I, I think this is a little different than a couple of my previous ones. I'm, I'm going – I know I said I didn't think it was going to be like a big blowout, but I do have a, a pretty convincing score at the end of this one. I think Ohio State wins 52-21. to 21. Um, I, I just think that when, with Ohio State's starting offense on the field, I think they'll pretty much score whenever they want. I think it's, a, it's kind of a you know, name-your-own score for on the offensive side at least. Um, I just don't think Michigan State has enough to stop with what this Ohio State offense can do. I mean, whether it's JSN plays or not, the passing offense has looked really good. The, the rushing offense is equally as good at this point. And so just having that type of balance, with it, knowing you could get you know first down basically with whatever you want to do, running or throwing the football, just makes you so hard to defend. And with how you know poor this, this secondary has played of the Spartans so far, I think they're going to have a really tough time of slowing down Ohio State. And then on the other side, I do think that they will do some things to test these Ohio State corners early. I do think we will see some, you know, depending on what the health looks like back there, maybe some rotation with the the cornerbacks, maybe some guys moving around, maybe a blown assignment here and there. But I'm not entirely confident in that 21, but I, I think it's fair enough with what we've seen from Michigan State, you know, just the amount of experience they have on offense. Maybe they are the first team to really poke some holes in the Ohio State defense, but I wouldn't be surprised if they, they put up less than that. But I, I don't think that this is going to be a game that's really in question for much longer than, you know, the first or second quarter. So each week we do these, I feel like we've been sort of similar in our predictions, and that's only slightly going to change this week. I'm with you on the Michigan State point total. I'm not going to go 21. I'm going to go 24. So people listening, they're like, all right, you guys are going to give the same score predictions again within three or seven points. But where I'm going to differ is for whatever reason, I don't think Michigan or I don't think Ohio State puts up 40 or 50 points in this game. It's their first roadie. We don't know who's going to play. We don't know who's going to be available. And yes, the Michigan State secondary is 
you know, not good, but they've got some guys up front. I think it, you know, at least a handful of possessions, they make it uncomfortable for CJ Stroud. So my final prediction is actually going to be 38 to 24. I think Ohio State both fails to hit the spread and reach 40 points, but I do think that they eventually either pull away in the end or just have a nice 7 to 14 point lead throughout. Uh, I think it'll be a little closer than we've seen thus far. So give me 38 to 24. Yeah, that wouldn't be totally surprising to me. Kind of like you said, this is, you do kind of have to figure in the figure in the fact that this is the first game away from Ohio Stadium for this Ohio State team. You know, a lot of these players have not seen, seen a, a road game just yet. Um, so maybe some of the younger guys that'll that'll be you know an issue for obviously a guy like C.J. Stroud. It's not going to I don't think it's going to rattle him in any way. He's he's been in road environments. He's been in tough games before. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if if this is a closer game than than I'm predicting. And then you know even that Vegas prediction of 24 and a half is is the line going into this one, or at least it was at the open. Um, and so it wouldn't be super surprising to see this one be close. Maybe Ohio State is um, kind of you know not not looking ahead because they have the bye week next week, but just kind of trying to roll through this this first half of their schedule and get to that second half, get some guys healthy, and just kind of you know just just sleepwalk their way through it like they kind of did against Rutgers. I think if they come out with the kind of focus and effort they did against Rutgers, then this game will be a lot closer than it should be. But I think they'll hopefully be a little more focus this time around. Um, and I, I imagine this will be another Ohio State win as we advance to hopefully 6-0 and and going into the bye week. Road games can bring out the best in teams sometimes too, especially a team like Ohio State that has been at home for a month plus. I don't, maybe we saw it against Rutgers, right? Some general malaise, uh, a lack of focus at times. This should, I think, give them an opportunity to dial in even more, focus even more. And so like the secondary, I hope that this brings out the best in the Ohio State team and whichever players we see out there. Again, I just I hope we see some guys in the secondary that are able to slow down this Michigan State passing offense a little bit. But, you know, if not, I think they're going to have to lean on the points and try and outscore the Spartans. Yeah, so it works for me. Um, that being said, I think that's pretty much all we got. Unless you have anything else you want to you want to throw in at the end here, Josh. I think we're about ready to wrap this one up. Uh, no, hopefully this is not a trap game. The Saturday afternoon ones can get a bit weird, but the one thing that we've seen throughout the year, with the exception of you know a quarter against Rutgers, Ohio State has been pretty darn focused, and they have a goal in mind. They see. Uh, a playoff berth in their future i'm sure whether or not they talk about it is a an entirely different story but um this whole season is really working towards a goal and working to get last year's taste out of your mouth so i do expect the the train to keep on rolling here at least yeah and we've seen you know these top teams these upper echelon teams struggle against much lesser opponents than a team like Michigan State. So it certainly wouldn't you know, be a, a huge surprise if Ohio State does struggle a bit in this one. But nonetheless, we are both predicting another Ohio State win, and hopefully that is the outcome that we see on Saturday. Leading up to Saturday, be sure to check out all of our written content over at LandGrantHoyland.com. We will have all of our usual previews and features leading up to this game. Be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe, and all the good stuff all the podcast asks you to do on this show. And for Josh Dooley, I am Gene Ross, and as always, Go Bucks.